One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the 211 Renault and Dacia range. Get your car delivered to you in just a couple of clicks. Call us today to find out more or visit blackstonemotors.ie. Stay safe from Blackstone Motors. Welcome to Late Lunch. Brand new week on the run into Easter. Hope you changed the clocks yesterday. I was just thinking, doesn't matter if you change them anymore doesn't used to be a thing years ago but sure everything changes automatically for you on your smart devices and phones do people even have clocks in their houses anymore we do in the kitchen but it's not really a facet of your life is it you know the way people used to be get got caught out and i remember in the early days of this show we used to have great fun people forgot to put the clock forward and or they missed something or there was a mishap in their lives that doesn't really happen. It doesn't. No, it couldn't happen anymore because it's done for us. Like a lot of other things in the world. Welcome to Late Lunch on the first show of summertime 2021 with lots to look forward to despite all that's going on at the moment. We have plenty of guests to talk to today on the show and great guests as well. There was a kilfuffle in Castle Bellingham yesterday. What was going on? Something to do with Bonnie, I think. Thomas Smith is going to tell us more about it a little later on on the show. Former Miss Ireland, Chelsea Farrell is here. I'm going to have a lovely chat with Chelsea today. Serious and light, I promise you, at the same time. We're going to the UK. Yes, restrictions being lifted in in England today. And Dundalk's own Sheila Bailey will be having a chat with us. And my artist of the week. Oh, God, Mairead, you're off the box. You're out of the blocks like a shot. And Mairead, you're right. You're right. You're right. You have him spot on. Who is he, folks? He's 30 years of age. Oh, he's fantastic. Could be a little bit of uh, tinted ginger around this fella somewhere. Who is my artist of the week? If you know, you can WhatsApp or text me to the show if you want to stab a guest at it. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. You can call in on 1857-15958. Now... Big weekend of soccer and big week of soccer with the World Cup qualifiers and friendlies going on. And last evening on Virgin TV, we are watching. Oh, it was simply marvellous. Yes, I'm talking about the documentary Finding Jack Charlton. And just to context it, well done to everybody on Virgin TV for the wonderful monies raised for Alzheimer's and dementia. It was fantastic to see. And the generosity of the Irish people. Daffodil Day over the weekend. This uh, on uh, Virgin. Marvellous, marvellous. Generous giving people we are for sure. But anyway, Finding Jack Charlton was all about the great man's life. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, a man who soldiered for many a day in his company covering the Irish soccer team is Paul Lennon. He's soccer writer with the Irish Daily Star. And a little while ago, I caught up with Paul and I put it to him that the documentary, it was really, really well made. 
It was. It was, a, it was a really good documentary, a very good portrayal of Jack, the footballer, Jack the manager, Jack the person, I felt. A lot of work went into this to work in this for years. I spoke to Pete Thomas, who was one of the producers and the directors of the, of the, of the film. The key, to, of course, was getting access to the family through Pat, Jack's widow, and John, his eldest son. And um, so hence, the raw material they had, they had really good material, and they did a fantastic job. It was sad to see him, you know, as his mind was failing and he would come and go and to see the great man reduced to what he was. And as I said, the serious side of it was that dementia, Alzheimer's that affects so many people in this country and the wonderful monies raised last night. We must acknowledge that as well. But going back to the beginning on the football side, February 86, big local northeast connection with Des Casey and Charlie Walsh in the FAI bringing Jack on board. There was indeed... Um Des was the uh, FEI president uh, and a long-standing member of the Irish f- football community who contributed so much over the years uh, at league level, at Dundalk FC level, at FEI level, and the late Charlie Walsh in, in, in Drogheda, involved with Drogheda and Drogheda United, uh, who was treasurer of the FEI at that stage. Des played a pivotal role, obviously, because he made the phone calls, uh, met uh, met Jack initially, persuaded him to be inter- to get it to get an interest in going for the job. And then um, they developed a very close relationship. And Des and his wife Mary and uh, Pat and, and Jack would, would meet socially. Uh, and, um, you know, the great thing about that, Jack had a great relationship with the key people, with uh, the likes of Des, with Charlie, even though there would have been rows with Charlie over money, with resource, because the FBI didn't have much money. But he had that relationship with key people, and he trusted the FEI, and the FEI entrusted him implicitly at the top level, and, and the results flowed. Uh, it was, it was, um, I, I thought, was, if there was one or two little criticisms, I thought that the might have maybe done, showed a bit more of his success with Leeds United as the player he was. He was, he was, um, he was regarded as the best centre half in England and maybe the world at one stage when he was at Leeds in England. He came in late to the, the 1966 World Cup finals. He, he had only made his debut a year earlier um, at the age of 29. But uh, he was a colossus as a player. He was a colossus as a ma- manager. And we saw also um, how his relationship with his younger brother, Bobby, drifted over the years. And that was sad to see. And I thought that the, the, the programme gave a very good insight into how that developed over the years. It certainly did. And you mentioned relationships there, Paul, and one that stands out, and even from watching it myself last night, was his with Paul McGrath. And when he was even watching uh, the laptop computer there, going back himself in his home, looking at the images, he remembered McGrath. Yeah, and uh, the, 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 there was two or three well-highlighted and well-remembered um, instances. When Sadly, Paul, through his issues, uh, which manifested in him taking solace in, in, in alcohol, affected the Ireland team. He um, famously stayed on the bus before the uh, 5-0 win over Turkey simply because he didn't feel well enough to get off the bus and play. And Jack threatened that he wouldn't uh, pick him again. But there was a lovely story in, uh, in, in, the, in the documentary which says that that night back in the hotel, when Paul was really in the horrors with, 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 with DTs, that Jack came in and apologised to him and said, I'll stick with you. And he pulled the 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 the, the, uh, the you know the, the blankets around Paul to help him. And another time, 
1993, when, when Paul went missing before key World Cup qualifying games, again, he took Paul back in, even other managers might have banished him. He said, I'm not, uh, you can come back in and join us, but you won't be playing. So he did put an arm around him. And back in, in 1994, when we got to World Cup finals, how Paul repaid him with that uh, performance against Italy in the giant stadium. It was unbelievable. I'm glad to say it was there on that day. But uh, to come back to the man himself, you mentioned, of course, with Leeds, he was outstanding. He was part, of course, of the England team that won the World Cup in 1966. And yet, when we beat England in Euro 88, that question that was put to him by a journalist to say, surely you have mixed feelings today, you know, having won the World Cup with England, being an Englishman and leading Ireland to victory. And his reply, no, I have no mixed feelings at all. No, not at all. And, and you can't in football. Uh, you, you, who you're working for, who you're employed by, you've got to deliver for them. And as he said himself, I hope England beat, win every other match and beat every other team in the world, but not us. And it was quite simple for Jack. And, and it, he was very, what's he said, all managers, most managers think the same or players. It's what you do now, it's, you're in the here and now. So, I mean, Jack loved, he was so proud of, of, his, of his northeast English roots. He was so proud of his family. He was so proud of the community that he, was, he grew up in. You know, and there was, was so, some really good footage, of course, of, of the famous parade around Ashington with him and, and Bobby in the back of the car after the World Cup win in 1966. Him having a point in the local, in the local pub with, with people from Ashington. Him be on a, a uh, march, a miners' union march, with Arthur Scargill in the uh, in, in the background during the the, the, the great uh, minor strike in in the in nineteen eighty four I think it was so you know there was uh, you know there was a great he had a loyalty to his people he had a loyalty to those who played for him now if you crossed him I think things could be different but once you you deliver for him he delivered for you I'm just going back to the Arthur Scargill connection. At one stage, when Scargill was, was um, didn't come across in the documentary, but I, I heard this, that during um, that minor strike, Scargill needed transport at one stage. Some car didn't turn up for, for some tour of the, of the North East. And Jack said, here, use my car for the day. You know, so he, he had this relationship with people. He, uh, he loved where he came from. And even though he, he admits himself, he, could, he, he went down the mines for a few weeks, couldn't stand it, had applied to join the police, I was due to join the police when Leeds United offered him an apprenticeship contract in his late teens. Joined Leeds, then did his national service. People forget that in those times, up until the mid-late 50s, all uh, British men had to do national uh, military service for a year or two. And Jack went off and did that, with the, I think, with the household guards in London. Stayed with Leeds on their books and came back and started playing for them when he was um, 18 or 19. An incredible man, his life story. He filled, or he packed in many lifetimes into his lifetime here on, on this earth. We, we had hel- halcyon days, Paul, like two World Cups, European Championship, 10 wonderful years, and all the highs. You mentioned Giant Stadium, Germany, all the other results along the way. But there were two matches that, you know, obviously hurt Jack. Uh, going to Belfast against Northern Ireland, the atmosphere around that game was just shocking. And secondly, when the English fans came to Dublin and rioted. Yes, and uh, funny enough, there's one story that wasn't covered by the, uh, the documentary about the 1993 game in Windsor, which was the, uh, the documentary 
clearly portrayed what had happened in the weeks, the horrendous Shankill Road bombing, uh, which nine people plus the bomber was killed, and then the Grace Steel Massacre uh, just outside Derry. That put it in context. And there was a fear that the game mightn't go ahead. It was played. Uh, there were no Ireland fans there. The sectarian uh, hatred by a section, not the all, a section of the home fans towards the Irish team and Jack was it was incredible. Uh, the vitriol, uh, I experienced it myself because I was there. Now, that night, after Northern Ireland took the lead through that Jimmy Quinn, stunning Jimmy Quinn goal, Billy Bingham, who was playing his la- who was in charge of Northern Ireland for, for the last time, began to uh, serenade the Northern Ireland fans and Jack called him an orange so-and-so. After the game, Jack realised he was wrong what he'd said, even though he was right to be upset with what Bingham was doing. He was straight into the dressing room and apologised to Billy, because him and Billy would have played against each other in England throughout the 50s and 60s, and they had a very healthy respect towards each other. Uh, but he was... Uh, he, that, that night, that was, it, was, it was horrendous. The, 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 the bile and the vitriol was horrendous. But in some ways, Northern Ireland, at least the result went well. Northern Ireland didn't lose. We got the draw. We went to the finals because um, uh, a decisive win one way or the other, and I think the atmosphere would have got even worse, you know. And then Dublin, the fans, when they went wild, he was really upset that night, wasn't he? He was, because he, he, you know, he, this is the country he, where he grew up. He won the World Cup with, and again, there was a, a section, you know, a hooligan element of the few, of the two or three thousand Indian fans who were there hell-bent on destruction uh, and uh, causing criminal damage and uh, injury. I mean, people were injured that night, and he was horrified by this. And um, he, he, was, he was so angry that a lovely, a really good football occasion. Ireland were leading one 0 through David Kelly's goal. They were playing well. You would have fancied them to go on and win the game. And again, going back to your earlier point about about uh, uh, who, who, who Jack's loyalties and allegiance were to. Him beating England in Dublin that night would have meant so much to him. Now, the official records say we did win 1-0. FIFA have officially given us that result. But he would have loved to have done it over the 90 minutes. He certainly would. And he was loved in Ireland, the length and breadth of the country. He loved his fishing here. Uh, he was welcomed everywhere he went in the country. They said he paid for little. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, bit of, there's a bit of a myth, but there is a bit of truth to it. That, that famous, he, he did write a cheque for... Twenty pounds for a few drinks, and of course that it meant more to the the bar owner to put it to frame it behind the bar that they did to get to cash the twenty quid. Uh, he was lovely. He 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 bought a house down in Ballina, so he, he he could fish the moi, which he, he held on to, to. I think for about fifteen, he sold it later on in his life when he lo- was no longer able to go over to Ballina. But he loved fishing, and on, on, on the moi in particular, but the love of fishing came from his from his from his youth. Yeah, he used to love out rambling the fields, shooting, uh, game fishing. He would go up to Scotland. He used to spend a lot of time in Scotland fishing as well. Um, he, was, he was an outdoors man. He, he loved that aspect. And we saw in the, in, in the documentary last night him going to a disabled fisherman's annual awards do. You know, and that's, he, he was at home with those people. And they loved him. And, and he loved them. And it was, he was very comfortable. He, he'd go into a room and he, 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 could, he could mix with people very easily, which is a, a great trait to have. And um, he he changed Irish football. He changed Irish sport. Some of the some of the, the claims made in, in respect of how Irish football changed Irish society. I have always been suspect of those claims, Jerry. I think 
the thing trying to claim that the Irish football team changed the Irish economy, I think, is a bit silly. But what it did do is, like, when Irish actors, Irish musicians, Irish pop bands, Irish rock bands are successful, or Irish business people are successful abroad, it does give the nation a bit more self-belief and self-confidence. And that's the Irish football team undoubtedly did that in the late 80s and early 90s. It certainly did, and it'll never, ever be forgotten. They were wonderful, wonderful times. Which brings me on to a point before you leave us, Paul, today. The current Irish team and the situation, it's, uh, I, I'd have to say, following the team, must be 40 years or more, that I can think back to such difficult, difficult days and such a low we stoop to against Luxembourg. What's your uh, view going forward? I think it's going to be very difficult for Stephen. Um, I, I just kind of wonder myself, is it... Has it now slipped from him? Uh, ten games without a win, uh, three goals, uh, defeat in the Euro playoff semi-final to Slovakia, albeit on penalties after 120 minutes. But losing to Luxembourg, you know, it was was pretty poor. There are injuries, no doubt about that. But Stephen has seems to be hell bent on playing this passing, possession-based football. In my view, I don't think we have the players to do that. We're not capable of doing it, even with a, with a, you know ninety ninety five percent or hundred percent of our first choice. We we don't have the players with the technical ability playing at the highest level to achieve that. I think we've got to be able to mix our tactics, hit it long at times, um, play off long balls being put to a big man at times. Not that means to say you hump the ball up the pitch all the time, but you've got to be practical. I think um, sadly it's going the wrong direction. Uh, the FUI, I think, have a big decision to make in the next few weeks because our next competitive game is away to Portugal in September. That's only going to, heading one way at the moment is to another defeat and possibly a heavy defeat. By the, the end of the game, you know, against Luxembourg, Luxembourg were outplaying us. And no matter how much Luxembourg football has improved, and it has, they're still 98th in the world or hammered 8-0 by Sweden a few years ago. Uh, we should be beating Luxembourg and Dublin. And um, I, I think the FBI has a big choice now in the next few weeks to make as to whether to stick with Stephen for the rest of this campaign or to bring in somebody ahead of the, the June friendlies and training camp and start preparing for the next European Championship. Paul Lennon there, soccer writer with the Irish Daily Star, speaking to me a little earlier on today about the wonderful documentary Finding Jack Charlton and uh, Stephen Kenny's prospects as Irish manager. And just to let you know, if you missed the documentary last night, it's been screened on BBC tonight and with no breaks in it, right through from start to finish. So if you, if you missed it, watch it there. I'll uh, give you the time and channel in a few moments' time, but I know it is on on BBC tonight. Just looking at that ship, <laughs> well, it's not a ship. It's uh, many football pitches, is it? Four or six football pitches the size of it stuck in the Suez Canal and <laughs> the little diggers and then two beside it they're dwarfed they've moved the front of it but the arse of it is still stuck they're waiting for the tide to rise don't hold your breath there'll be st- things missing from your supermarket shelves shortly and uh, that'll be because of the blockage in the sewers I was thinking about Jack Charlton and how best to remember him on the show today and pay tribute to him I think this song is absolutely appropriate in memory of the late great Jack Charlton on Late Lunch Alan Price and the Jarrow song. Remembering Jack Charlton today. Come on, follow the Geordie boy. He was a Geordie boy and we did follow him and look where he took us all over the world. Look at the joy he brought the country. 
and I say it again, there is no other sport in this country can unite the nation like soccer does or bring joy to the masses like it does. Hard to believe that it's 2002 since we were in the World Cup Finals. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It'll be 20 years next year. But I remember those days. For once this country, everybody could join in the celebration. Just not individual little communities or clubs. It was for all of us. And please God, we will see that someday again. I hope to live to see it. I really do. They were wonderful, wonderful times. You were late lunch on LMFM Radio this afternoon. Still to come on the show. Yes, what's the kerfuffle about in Castle Bellingham? We're going to tell you on late lunch after three today. Miss Ireland, Chelsea Farrell is joining us. She has a lot to talk about, I promise you. And uh, Sheila Bailey will be with us shortly from the UK. A wonderful woman from Dundalk. You're probably wondering... 40 days and nights for Slav. Yes, I finished the walking uh, yesterday. The 40 days were over. And tomorrow on the show, we're going to round it off with Slav's mum, Nadia Vavro. Just letting the dust settle today because the contributions are still coming. And I thank you for it. And I'll tell you more about that uh, during the middle hour of the show. But we're heading now to the newsroom for news and weather at two o'clock. Oh, I still have another minute, have I? Sorry, Eamon. I beg your pardon. I was jumping the gun there. I want to... I'm too... Well, listen, I might as well go to these now. I have them here beside me. Here they are. Some of the contributions that came in today for Slav, a, fo- a small donation for Slav from Moira. Not small at all, Moira. Much appreciated to you and Slav. Hope this helps with your fundraising, says Josie. Thank you, Josie. Hi, Jerry. Please fi- find this donation towards your great effort for Slav from a pensioner in Kilmainham Wood in County Mead. God bless you for that. Lovely card here from my granddaughter Pippa, Shauna and Jared with a lovely contribution as well. And my granddaughter Ava, it was her birthday on Saturday and guess what she called up and she said to me gang gang I have something for Slav for you I got some money for my birthday and I want to give it to Slav wasn't that just lovely God bless you thank you Ava and thanks to everybody who has supported us supported us in this wonderful fundraiser and as I said tomorrow we'll tell you all about it yes it's gone beyond the expectations I have to say it really has you know (laughs) didn't set out with anything in mind but we'll tell you tomorrow how we fared out and it's just been fantastic it is now time to head to the newsroom for news and weather at two I'll say hello to Tommy in Italy again today Mary Mooney Pat Arnold Phyllis Christine and more yes you got it right you know my artist of the week already he's brilliant and we'll hear his story and a wonderful song to kick off the week on late lunch after three this afternoon Jerry, why did Declan Rice and Jack Grealish declare for England? The reason they did Jerry, is quite obvious, they saw what was coming down the tracks says a listener to me this afternoon, there you go thanks for your messages, keep them coming to me 086-1800-658 WhatsApp or text me to the show or you can call in on 1850-715-958 they're two players that are a huge loss to Ireland I do have to say that if we had them it would make quite a difference Now we move on on Late Lunch and I really am delighted to catch up with my next guest. She joined me here on the show January time before lockdown and we had a fascinating conversation. When I tell you she was granted the freedom of the City of London for services to the Irish community. She's regarded as one of the most influential Irish women of all time by Tatler magazine and she loves our horses. She's involved with the Racehorse Owners Association, the British Horse Racing Authority, she's a steward and much more besides. She's so talented and she's on the line with me on late lunch. Sheila Bailey, welcome back to the show. 
Jerry, it's great to hear you. How are you? I'm really good, and it's great to hear you too. That is a fact, isn't it, Sheila? You 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 ain't been home. Is that right? Since you were here with me. The last time I was in Ireland was the day I sat in the studio with you, and little did I think when I walked out the door that day that it would be all this time later and I still wouldn't have seen my family. Oh, Sheila, it's a terror altogether, isn't it? But look, at on your side of the pond, well, 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 even today I've been following the news there earlier on in the morning and golfers went out last night at a minute after midnight with fluorescent golf balls to hit a golf ball, Sheila. You can understand it. And I mean, apparently all the open-air swimming pools, the Lido and Hampstead, everybody flocked out first thing this morning. And believe you me, I know the weather forecast said it's going to be 24 degrees, but it doesn't feel like 24 degrees out there. I took the dog out an hour ago and it is sunny, but bitingly cold. But after all this time, people are desperate to get out and do something. Mm, The vaccination programme, what is it, 30 million at this stage, 50 odd percent of the population. There's been a huge take up and the rollout has been phenomenal. Sheila, you can understand over here, there's real discontent with the vaccination programme. I can understand this. Um, I, I, I hate to um, to be negative about anything, but I mean, the behaviour of the European Union hasn't helped at all. I mean, I think that's probably been one of the greatest things that we were able to go out there and negotiate our own deal. So we have over 50% are vaccinated. And today, for the first time, zero deaths from COVID were recorded in London. So it's, it's, it's hopefully a turning point. Um, it's been, it has been tough, though. It's been incredibly difficult. And there's times when, when I look at the statistics at home and I kind of scratch my head and think, how is it, you know, how has the, the spread of the, the disease been so bad when, you know, you have these great areas of sparse population? You know, obviously, in mm. anywhere you, you're in a city, you're going to be, have increased exposure. Um, but it's, it's really been challenging. I have, when I say I haven't um, been at home since uh, January last year, I also haven't seen my son since June last year. And that's the first time in his adult life. It's been nine months since I've seen him. Hopefully... And I'm tapping the desk as I say this. Hopefully he'll be home for Easter. Ah, please God, he will. And you've that to look forward to. But like, you know, and I hear what you're saying, we cannot underestimate the toll that is taken on relationships, family and further afield as well, with this not being together. You know, Sheila, you're a woman who's uh, travelled extensively in your life, mixed with so many different people as well. Has it brought it home to you like I I felt as well? I never realised the importance, how social an animal we are. Yes, indeed. And I actually said that the other day. I I sometimes find myself talking to the dog because simply I can talk to somebody. (laughs) Now, today is our first day. We are looking forward to the end of the week. I've got um, finished work on Wednesday evening just to sit in the garden. I will listen to this. I, I can hardly believe I'm going to admit this to you. I have bought halogen heaters so that we can sit outside until all hours of the night with a glass of wine and and talk and just just catch up. Things that were so normal before are now 
so important. Mm, they really are, and it's brought that home to us. Look, uh, the, we, we have an announcement coming, we think, later today or tomorrow about some slight easing, but it's looking like potentially another six weeks to take us into the end of May, you know, before, obviously, the vaccination programme will be at a level where they can loosen the strings a little longer. Look, there's a view from this side, and uh, confirm or deny this for me, that Boris has, you know, been smarter than most, you know, in in the way he's got hold of all these vaccines. How do you respond to that? Um, He is smart, and I think he's done as good a job as anybody could have done. Because remember, nobody knew how to deal with this. Nobody really, it, it caught everybody unawares. But we didn't have to navigate the EU. We don't have to go through that red tape. And even um, Ursula von der Leyen admitted that in, in her rather intemperate statement, you know, when she said that um, uh, the, the EU is like a tanker, you know, it takes a long time to turn around. And the UK just got on and managed to get its own supplies. So he was clever. Um, and I think we're all very grateful for it. And that uh, he had to be because when you look at the early days, it goes without saying it was a disaster in the UK, wasn't it, with the uh, loss of life and the cases? Um, It was. Now, there's there's a couple of things there that this will be something that will exercise all of us afterwards. Um, That much has been written about the number of people whose death certificates attribute their death to COVID. And many learned scientists have said they died with COVID, not because of it. Mm. Um, Belle Mooney, the writer, has written very movingly about her father's death when the doctor told he'd had five negative tests, but he still said he died of COVID and he was 98 with dementia. So I think the numbers probably in years to come will be debated, but right now people just want to find a way out of it. And I know you said you're expecting an announcement that there's another six weeks. But if the six weeks, because that's what we had when Boris made the last announcement, we were told today, it was six weeks ago, he said, this is when we would start the phased um, exit from lockdown. And once you have a timeline, you actually have something to aim towards. The minute he made that announcement, and I know this is as trite as it can be, but there will be an awful lot of women in Ireland who will feel the same way. The minute that announcement was made, I was on the phone to the hairdresser. I haven't had my hair cut since last November. I'm like the wild woman of Borneo. <laughs> so there was, there was this thing, right, the hairdo will be the first thing. You know, as you go along, you have these markers. Yeah. And I think that people will be much more inclined to comply with what's required of them if they know this is how long I have to do it. I say here, here, and I hope that your words are being listened to. We need that roadmap. We need those dates. And it does give people hope and lifts everybody. Just on the Brexit thing, you mentioned Ursula von der Leyen there and the scrape that happened over the protocol uh, in Northern Ireland. And it's still going on, Sheila. You're well positioned as being a woman from Dundalk. You know, you know the area here in the region and what went on. What do you make of where we are now? It seems that, you know, relations are fractious, north, south, and Dublin, London, Dublin, Belfast, London. Um, They're not great. There's no doubt about that. Um, We had an online lecture uh, from uh, Jim Callaghan on last Tuesday night at Sydney, Sussex and Cambridge on the potential for reunification of Ireland. It was a fascinating um, 
discussion. It was a fascinating paper, the way he talked about the possibility. It's only afterwards, you know, and particularly from where I look at it, from things from Dundalk, you sit there and think, but it's not the big things. It isn't the big things that would stop it. It's the small things. It's people's personal views, people's very important family values, uh, whatever they may be. That will probably be the biggest challenge. Relations between... um, in London and Dublin, we have we have a wonderful ambassador in London, Adrian O'Neill. He's he's a, a brilliant economist, brilliant man. Um, but I, I think, had I been a politician in Dublin, everyone could see the way it was going to go. Brexit was always going to happen. The will of the people was not going to be denied. I think I might have done more to build bridges with London rather than being a very useful ally to the EU, because, I mean, that's the biggest trading corridor between the UK and, and, and Ireland, mm. both ways. Um, so I, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's challenging, but it's always been challenging, and we've always found a way through it. Yes, and uh, you know, of course, look at the the will was adhered to, as you say. In the end, um, the uh, separation happened. How do you feel it's it's going? You know, we hear figures on this side: trade is down. There's difficulties with goods passing through. Tell us on the ground there. What's the feeling? Right decision, getting on with what, or any regret or remorse? None. It's, it's just working. As far as we can see, the stock market's doing fine. Um, despite the appalling situation that we're in this pandemic, job losses are nowhere near as bad as people expected. Um, obviously, there, there are challenges, and we're going to have to find our way out of this after the cost of furlough and what have you. But I would say the feeling is buoyant. Um, I did follow, in the early days, I did follow on, on Twitter people's views. And uh, there's another famous Dundalk girl on Twitter called Helen O'Rahilly, home from, from London, Yes, And she was saying that the biggest challenge was finding um, ready meals in Marks and Spencer's. And of course, this is, this is like everything. People see it at the level it affects them on a daily basis. Now, having said that, you mentioned um, my involvement in horse racing. It is a huge challenge for racehorse trainers. Gay Kellaway told me there were 82 separate pieces of paper to manage to get your horse across from Dover to France. Mm. Um, which is enough to test everybody. There's the issue, the VAT issue uh, as well, horses coming over here. But I think uh, where everybody missed uh, a step is that all of these things, they're actually things that business people need to sort out, not necessarily politicians. Mm. Uh, you know, that's, it's business people who make business yes. work, who make the money come in. The, the politicians may drive the legislation, but you needed an awful lot of people on the ground who understood business, Mm. and that didn't happen. You know, your interest in uh, horses is uh, renowned, and of course, racing has gone on without the crowds, and in particular, I talk about Cheltenham recently. It was some Cheltenham for the Irish. I just think, uh, you know, had the crowds been over, Sheila, my word. Can you imagine the economic impact that's been, been lost? because of that. Mm. I suppose the only thing people can can look forward to is that uh, as soon as we can, as soon as everyone can, I hope they'll all go back to the race courses because, you know, people, I I don't think any of us have really stopped and thought about the society. Lots of people 
who have used to do things and have not been able to do them might not go back to them. One of the things that a trainer said to me was, if you got uh, sold your horse or your, you took your horse out of training when the pandemic stopped, you've got a five-figure sum in your pocket that you didn't have. And, you, you know, your life hasn't been too mm. awful because of it. Are they going to sit there and think, I can't wait to go out and buy another horse? Now, I mean, that's what I did. I went out and bought another one a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but not everybody will be like that. People yes. have stopped doing things. They haven't traveled. They haven't gone on holiday. You know, and, and people, anyone who has a job has more money in their pocket. What will be the long-term changes yeah. after the pandemic? Mm. Tell me this on the Cheltenham uh, matter with the Irish dominating. Is it that, you know, the British breeders, trainers, owners, I know a lot of the horses were trained over here that are British owned and sent across for Cheltenham. Are they really, you know, <laughs> hell bent on uh, dislodging the Irish dominance? I'd like to think that it's, it, it's just brinksmanship. I mean, Cheltenham is all about sport. Horse racing is all about real sport because it takes a combination of horse-human partnership to make it happen. Um, obviously, for British breeders, British owners, it was um, head-scratching and, gosh, you know, it was such a fantastic route by the Irish. Um, but I don't think it's detrimental. I think it, it, it's something that will work its way through. I okay. think it would have been quite different if people had been there, if you'd had the crowds there. Mm. The, the mood would have been different. We watch entry with interest. I think they'll try to get their own back and <laughs> with the festival there, but t- time will tell. Uh, it really will. Look, it's great to catch a word with you. It really is. I love talking to you. Wish you well. Enjoy your new heaters in the garden and the visit of your son for the Easter. Enjoy an hour leg as well and keep well. And we will talk again, I'm sure, Sheila. Look forward to it, Jerry. God bless you. Take Thank care you of yourself. Thank you so much. Thank you bye too. Bye-bye. Take care. That's the wonderful Sheila Bailey, originally from Dundalk. Wonderful woman based in the UK for quite a number of years. They are sailing along the Suez Canal as I speak. The big, big ship, four Croke Parks, as the size of, is on its way. It has been freed now at the other end and it is moving. I believe they're going to move it up. There are little side channels off the uh, canal and they may just take it into one of those now and let the hundreds of ships that are waiting i was looking at the map of the world god god it's a hell of a journey if you have to go around the tip of africa and up it really is and uh anyway your uh, goodies from taiwan and china are on the way for all of you out there that were worried about them yes the ship is moving as we speak and the canal opened once again I want to say a big congratulations to two young ladies from Talonstown Laura Byrne is 10 and Chanel Smith she's 11 and for Daffodil Day late last week they raised 2,977 euro well done to both of you fantastic effort young ladies and that money will go to so much great use it really will the Cancer Society a wonderful charity I've worked with them and supported them myself over the years and well done to all who've made Daffodil Day such a wonderful, wonderful success. Back to Jack Charlton for a moment. Andy Townsend was on television this morning and he was talking about uh, the documentary. Oh, jeez, I forgot to check for you. It's on BBC tonight. I will. I'll do that before the end of the show. But anyway, Andy was talking about Jack and recalling some of the stories. And the most famous one, I don't know whether you heard it before. Do you remember the night we played Italy in the Olympic Stadium in Rome? World Cup quarter final. 
and Scalacci scored the one goal that decided the game and we were out. Well, they were in the dressing room afterwards and all the boys were having a shower and as you can imagine, they were down in their boots and Andy was standing with Jack sort of on his own. And remember before they went to that game, they met the Pope. Yes, they had an audience with the Pope, the team, and the Pope said to Packy Bonner, the keeper, who got us to the quarterfinals with the saves in Genoa, uh, you're the keeper. And the Pope, you see, the Pope, Pope John Paul II, was a goalkeeper himself. He was a professional keeper at one stage in his life. And there was a rapport with them. Anyway, uh, Jack was standing with Andy and there wasn't much passing between them, boss, gaffer, etc. And he said, you know what, Andy? And uh, uh, Townsend said, what, boss? The Pope would have saved that one. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Jack. <laughs> what a great story that is. But uh, Townsend said about him, he was tough but fair. And I think that best describes the man for sure. Tough uh, but fair. Message in there from a listener in my uh, conversation with Sheila Bailey, uh, just saying, you know, that uh, really the UK are the losers overall. Yes, they've got ahead on the vaccines. Uh, but, you know, uh, they will lose out in the long term. I'll come back to that one now in a moment. It's just popped off my screen there at the moment and um, what else was I to say to you yeah there was, yeah it's back to the to the fundraising just to touch on the two young girls there who raised the money in talent center when you think about us as a nation I pose this question where would we be without the generosity of people in the country across the board I've experienced it myself for the last 40 days and 40 nights but you know, the money raised for dementia yesterday, uh, over the weekend, for the daffodil cause as well. We're great, great people. You know, we're really fantastic, generous people. And I often wonder if that money or those monies weren't flowing in to the various charities to fund different things, where would we be? Would the government step in? I doubt it. You know, would the government step in and make up that shortfall? I don't think so. And I think it's I, the government should be so grateful to people who do donate and support all those types of charities. They really should. It's a fantastic, fantastic effort. It really is on behalf of everybody. And again, thank you for your kindness across the board uh, to uh, all the causes. What about the restrictions? Have you any thoughts on that? What's going to happen? What are they going to announce? I mentioned it there to Sheila Bailey. What are we going to hear? Are we going to hear... Anything, really, uh, of substance. I think they'll release us from the 5K. I'm pretty confident that will happen. They'll have to give us something. They really will. How far will that be? 10K, 20K? Hardly be within the county or moving within counties, some huge counties in the country. Don't think so. Will golf get the nod and tennis and some outdoor training for youngsters? I think possibly it should. And it really would be a huge help to people. I think, the, you know, it's outdoors. We're not together. We're spread apart. You know, if you go playing a game of golf, a two ball, arrive in your separate cars, go out and play in the open, go home afterwards. No clubhouses or anything involved. They're the least of the things we should see. And honestly, as Sheila Bailey said to me, I couldn't agree with her more. We now need the roadmap to say next time with so many vaccinations, we've passed 800,000 today. I see that figure is there and it's good to hear. We will be doing ABC and then EFG. That's what we need. We need that to give us to give us the hope. We really, really do need it. And uh, hopefully they will uh, go down that road uh, later on today when they actually make the announcements. I'm looking forward to hear, hearing what has to be said. There will be caution at the same time because the cases are still high. We know that anyway. But come on, give us hope. We must have hope. If we don't have hope, what have we? 
I appeal to those making the decisions and I know it's a health-based one and it has to be based on that but surely those little little nuggets to people will help, will really, really help with everybody's mental health because a lot of people are genuinely, I know this, struggling at this time. Europe with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Up next on the show, she's a good friend of ours, former Miss Ireland, Chelsea Farrell is joining me. Yeah, that message I got earlier is back with me. Uh, maybe they're lucky to have all the vaccinations they need without Europe, but they will need Europe for other facets of society. Tell Sheila we're Europeans here as was the will of most Londoners to remain in the EU. And that is a fact. Uh, yes, London voted to stay in. Thank you indeed for that message. Jerry. do you think that Sheila's conservative views would be typical of a Dundalk woman's views, says Anthony to me today? Probably not, but she has her views and she's entitled to them and uh, she believes in them. And uh, I'm always... Uh, Pleased to air them for her. And you understand she's coming from a different perspective. But I hear what you're saying, Anthony. And uh, I'd say there's merit in your comment this afternoon. Jerry, the Jack Charlton programme, thank you to my lovely listeners, is on BBC Two tonight at nine o'clock. So if you missed it, Finding Jack Charlton, BBC Two tonight at nine o'clock. Jerry, just a question. Was Leo Varadkar she, <laughs> steering that ship in the sewers? <laughs> says Barney. Barney, go ahead with that with you. You was now laugh anyway this afternoon, don't you? Couldn't be Michal or the other fellow as well, Eamon. You wouldn't know. There you go. Moving on on the show. She's been a really good friend to us on Late Lunch since she won Miss Ireland. Even before, when she was Miss Louth and moving through the heats and then became Miss Ireland and went to London and did fantastically well. And she's been back with us several times since. She's a brand ambassador. She's an influencer. And she's going to be a midwife. Chelsea Farrell, hello again. Hello, Derry. How are you? I'm really good. Well, first things first, tell me about your big day when you were in doing the practical on the ward as a midwife and the baby arrived. Come on, tell me. Yeah, no, do you know what? I had such an incredible experience and I've finished my first placement now, but overall, every single moment of it was just so special and it's such a privilege to be involved in it from the get-go. So I just can't wait now to motor on and do my next three years and qualify as a fully qualified midwife. And you'll always remember the first. It was a little girl, was it? Yeah, so I had three witness births in the end. Um, so loads of different babies. There was loads of different things happening. Um, so it was absolutely incredible. But yeah, every, every individual birth and every individual thing you come across is equally as special. So, and it reaffirmed that you're going down the right road, I take it? Yes, 110%. And, you know, I always knew in my heart over the last few years that it was definitely what I wanted to do. And my first placement just set that in stone. It's definitely what I want to pursue. So, uh, I'm so excited. Good on you. That's great to hear. And another little personal note that I mustn't forget. You saw your granny for the first time. I did, yes. And I still get so emotional talking about it. Um, so yesterday, because I have my vaccine and I recently had a negative COVID test, we decided that I would go in first. So we're allowed two visits a week with one person. So I went in yesterday and Jerry, it was so overwhelmingly special because it's been such a long year of window visits and shouting through windows. And, you know, it was so stressful for everybody. So to be able to go in and sit in the room with her and have the chats and the crack with her was just so, so special. And I'm sure you've seen the TikTok video that she did and um, she was just absolutely over the moon. It was so special for her as well. I certainly did. And I know where you get your talent from. Well, one part of it anyway, when I see that TikTok video. I know, oh. I know. God love her. It's gone viral on TikTok now. Yes. We'd be delighted when we see her again. <laughs> <laughs> but my God, can you imagine? And, and you know, for those perhaps that don't just understand either, Chelsea, why, yeah. you know, why, why, why can't people come in? You know, it's been horrid time. 
Yeah, well, obviously, we all know the times we're in now are so, so horrible. And for the staff and the patients in these nursing homes, it's very important that we keep them as safe as we can. So that meant keeping visitors out because obviously we're mixing with other, you know, with other people when we're at yeah. work and different things. So it was just to put the patient safety first. And do you know what? Sunhill Nursing Home were absolutely incredible. I know the other night they had McDonald's for dinner and then they bought some donuts yesterday. <laughs> but, you know, they're treating the patients so, so well to make up for the fact that visitors couldn't go in. But hopefully now this is the start of us getting in a little bit more often. But you know what? It's been incredible and they've kept the patients as safe as they can and that's all we could ask for. That's great to hear. Send her our good wishes as well and tell her that the world is watching her TikTok and more (laughs) besides. And thank God we're moving in the right direction. Now, you were on TV lately eating with the enemy. Ho, ho. I was. It was absolutely incredible. So it was aired on TV last week, actually. Mm. And you were sitting down with Aileen Eglinton, a well-known and well-regarded PR consultant. Just explain to our listeners what the context of the opposite, you were opposites, what you were debating. Yeah, so the whole concept of the show is that you sit down with someone who has an opposing view to you. So we were debating the whole aspect of social media, online trolling and social influencers. So obviously, being a social influencer myself and going through online trolling in the way I did, um, Aileen was sitting down with me then because she wasn't on the same page as me in the sense that she didn't agree with social influencers and she'd never been bullied before in her life at all. Oh, well, well for her, I have to say. You <laughs> I know, know, that's what I said. God, yeah, I most people, you know, have come across this either in person or in this vile uh, online presence as well. So she never has. And did, did you, why, did she say it was because of who she is or her personality or yeah, does she, she frequent social media? Yeah. I don't really know. I think it was just potluck, you know, that's very like mm. most of my generation do go through hell and back with um, online trolling and bullying, physical bullying. Um, but I think it was just potluck that Aileen had never experienced anything. Did you, uh, you know, when uh, I saw it myself, but just for listeners today who may not have, yeah. did you feel that you opened her eyes? Did she open yours? You know, at the end of it, how did you, you feel it went? Yeah, so overall, I think initially, obviously, when she came through the door, she would have seen a young girl sitting all dolled up to the nines. And I think initially, like everyone, they think that there's nothing more to this person. They see a pretty influencer and think that's all there is to them. So as soon as I started speaking, Aileen realised the experience I have, the life experience I have between the stalking and the online trolling and then Miss World and, you know, all of that stuff, Jerry, that I've done. I think she realised, OK, there's a lot more to this girl. And then when she heard I was a model influencer and a student midwife, I think that was the turning point for her when she realised, OK, not all social influencers are useless and are only doing it because they're getting paid to do it. And um, so I think initially the conversation was kind of more edged towards social media in general and social influencers in general and whether they were a negative or a positive influence. And I think what Aileen realised was that not all of us are a negative influence. In fact, it's the minority of influencers that are a negative influence. Most of us are positive mm in the sense that we will only speak about and only advertise things that we truly believe in and that we know are going to have a positive impact on our audience. And, you know, you make a good point and you've made it subsequently, I see, as well. I'm going to come on to that in a moment because you were in the national papers. Gee, but she's everywhere, delivering babies on the television, <laughs> the national papers, influence, etc. But you did make a very good point that I, I want to bring up here. You know, people earn their livings from doing what we're talking about now. And, you know, I, I know it was put here and I was going to put it to you today. Well, if you're getting this stick on there, get out. But it's not that simple. No, it's not. Because at the end of the day, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you were getting 
um, bullies in a workplace or you were getting nasty messages from people in the workplace, you wouldn't leave your job for it. So why should we come off social media just because we're getting bullied and targeted on there? Because at the end of the day, for some people, it is their primary income at this minute. So they can't just shut it down and come off it. And then as well as that, you're letting down all of them people that follow you to see your content and to brighten up their day. So if you come off, you're letting all them people down and you're not there for their escape as such. And then you're letting these bullies win because that's what they want. They want to see you coming off social media and see you going back to being a nobody that nobody cares about. So you can't let them people win. It's a point really well made and brought it home to me, I have to say, uh, really forcefully to understand that if this were real life, you wouldn't run away from it. You'd face it. You'd stand up. Yeah, you have to face it because at the end of the day, these people are bullies. And Mm. I've always been taught growing up to face face the bullies. Don't walk away from them and don't hide from them because that's exactly what they want. And, you know, at the end of the day, their actions do not define you and their behaviour doesn't define you. It defines them. And it's them that have to live with that on their conscience forever, not you. So you have to just Stay strong, stand up and keep going and don't let them win. The other thing you've been talking about lately is this thing called revenge porn. And uh, for listeners who may not know, there is a platform called OnlyFans. And it's where a a lot of young Irish women uh, use this, you know, to post uh, racy type of snaps about themselves. And uh, recently, one of the main influencers there, what's her name? It just escapes me. You'll know who I'm talking about, um, had pictures taken from her yeah. particular uh, Roz is her first name I can't think of her second name yeah. at the minute you know what I'm talking about but her yeah, photographs do, yeah. were taken and you have a view on this as well yes I do and I know a lot of people were kind of saying initially well these girls are putting them images up there so they've put them out there it serves them right that they've been taken and shared but that is not the case so obviously now with the whole um, legal side of it now image based sexual abuse and online harassment there is fines that can be faced for people who are guilty of it and, you know, imprisonment and everything now. So it is really, really serious. But from my point of view, while, yes, these individuals are posting the content on their personal platforms, that's their choice and they're in control of it. But when someone takes these images without their consent and reshares them without their permission, it's not her choice anymore. So you're taking that choice away from her and you have no right to do that on any platform, not just OnlyFans. You have no right to share images that do not belong to you. And and for you, like you, you, I, I see you all the time. You're in my feeds here as well. You, you're a brand ambassador for many things as well, and yeah. you're frequently there. Uh, you're a good-looking young lady as well. Oh, thank you. you no, know, no, but I, I'm, I'm just getting to, to the point yeah. here of this. You know, when you are on there, you know, talking about this, that, and and the other, do you ever feel, you know, vulnerable? You know, sometimes I do because there is a lot of people who have that opinion that you've put yourself out there, you've put that picture up there so it gives everybody the right to do what they want with it. And that is a very vulnerable side because, you know, you you nearly have to rethink what you're posting for fear that it's going to be shared on, which we should not have to do that because, again, nobody has the right to do that. And it's invading that person's privacy in the sense that they put that picture up there. They can see who's liking it, who's sharing it, what's going on with it. But when you take that image for your own personal use and share it on whatever platforms you're sharing it on or whatever groups you're sharing it to, it's taking the control away from that person. And that's not only selfish, it's very, very disrespectful and inconsiderate to that individual. Roz Parcel, that was the name. I was, it just came to me there as I was speaking to you. And she's one that's been the victim of this as well. So the message today from you before we finish up is, uh, you know, young ladies are in there. They're earning money and that as well. But it's a job. Yes. Yeah. And it's their choice to do it. And you have no right to take that choice away from them or to take advantage of their choices as such. 
Chelsea, you're great. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. By God, we've covered some ground to get today. Keep on doing what you're doing and we love you here on Late Lunch. Thanks a million. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Chelsea Farrell there, young woman with a a range of opinions. I'm delighted for her. She's uh, going great guns studying for the midwifery and uh, working away in the online space as well. Late Lunch LMFM Radio still to come on the show. (laughs) Yes, the kerfuffle in Castle Bellingham. If I say it again, you'll wonder what the hell is he talking about you'll find out here with me after three o'clock and my artist of the week yes don't go anywhere ed will be along soon hi jerry i wish chelsea all the very best in her life uh, don't get me wrong but chelsea's pictures on instagram are uh, amazing photographs but for uh, 11 or 12 year olds to be following her on instagram I don't think those pictures should be there. I know what you're talking about. Chelsea, you know, he she models for different uh, businesses and does it really well. But uh, what I'd ask is, an 11-year-old following somebody on Instagram, is that right? You, you know, that's where I'd start the question from. You know, how young an age should children have access to Instagram and freely follow anybody on Instagram? I just put that question back to you and I hear what you're saying there to me. Uh, the way you feel about it, you wish her well and you wonder are the pictures appropriate when she's modelling and that for younger girls. But what age? You know, that's that's the question here. We've covered this ground before on Late Lunch. What age should they have a phone? Should they be online? Should they be on these platforms? I would say... 11 years of age is too young. Maybe I'm out of touch. What do you think? Am I out of touch? Are they all in there from their teeny tots? I don't think they should be. That's my opinion. And that's the problem with this bloody thing, that they're on it too soon. Let them be children and enjoy their lives as children and keep them away from these things to an age where they're starting to have a bit of sense and can understand. That's my uh, tuppence word on it for you on late lunch. They have two big birthdays to mention. Emma McGurk is 30 today. Mary and Paula wish you the happiest of happy birthdays. But the big birthday today, yes, Patricia Healy, Nee Kelly, she's known as Patricia Kelly, is celebrating a big, big birthday today. She's out walking the highways and byways, I'm sure as I speak. Patricia, from all your friends and the Wednesday Club, happy birthday, and it'll be soon, I hope, till you're in. Garvey's shaking your booty to this one. Happy birthday, Patricia. Abba, the dancing queen, Patricia Healy. Big, big birthday today. Oh, big one. Just like myself later in the year, Patricia. We're all in the one boat now, moving in the one direction. Happy birthday again to you. Enjoy from all of your friends. Abba there, yes, the summer of 76, number one and dancing queen. Big, big hit for Abba. Wasn't there talk to her coming back together? I, I didn't hear any more about that, whatever happened. Anyway, the phone and access to digital platforms. Thank you indeed for your messages to me on the show today. Got a message from a listener saying, you know, her... 11-year-old was following Chelsea and I said, I think that's a bit young. Um, Give the children the phone when they're 18 and they have a bit of sense. Now, in an ideal world, (laughs) that would be the case. 18, I'd say... It's gone, long gone at that stage. And I, 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 your sentiments are valid and I welcome them as well. But could you hold them till 18 without 
access to a phone in the modern era and access to the online stuff because at schools you know they, they I, I realise this as well they're online in schools and do a lot of learning there which is for the good it is for the good but you know 18 oh I'd say it's probably a pipe dream sorry but thank you for the message I appreciate it yes Jerry, the parents need to cop on. No child of 11 should have a phone and be able to follow uh, people on Instagram or any of those. I couldn't agree with you more. So what is the age? You know, that's the thing. How do you... 18, probably at the wrong end of the scale. Oh, 11. No, 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 not 11, please. What is the age? Do you introduce it? Do you say it's 14? But 14... Am I being crazy there as well, even saying 14? Is that too late? Will there be too much pressure, too much peer pressure to give in before that age? I don't know. Um, Hi, Jerry. The official age for people on these social media sites is 13. Oh, is it there? I've learned something today. 13, says a listener. But these large social media companies are not doing enough to educate and inform children and their parents of the issues that can come along with being on social media. Sites like uh, where there are cyberbullying, hate speech, etc. Minister Helen McEntee has covered some of this in the new legislation, but it doesn't go far enough to protect children on social media. The onus should be on the multi-billion euro social media platforms and businesses to prevent younger people joining social media. Again, look... You're right. They have a part and a huge part to play in this whole area and the bullying thing as well. How do you, you know, police that? If somebody gets a device, goes on, joins, uh, you are whatever age or over, you agree and you're in. How do you police it? Do we need a passport for that? Do we need identification? We're talking about passports for travel now when it happens again. I don't know. It's a huge, huge issue. It really is. But I honestly say I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be at 11 years of age, 12 years of age, having children with access to follow different influencers. And influencers, I say it, they do great and they do positive and they deal with big issues in there, of course. But you need to be more mature, really. Um, Jerry says, uh, Paul, I think they don't need a phone uh, to go into secondary school, but then common sense is gone altogether. Uh, you know, for example, Jerry, that's why people have to be lectured to do what's right in the pandemic, says Paula. Thank you indeed for that comment to the show today. Don't forget the numbers 086-1800-658. You can uh, WhatsApp or text me. Jerry, thanks for reading that out. I have a 14, a 15 and an 18 and a 20-year-old. My 20-year-old showed me her Instagram page. And yes, Jerry, I agree with you. Shouldn't be 11 or 12. Uh, but that's... Who is following uh, people like Chelsea, says a listener who's come back to me. That was the original listener that sent me the message about the 11-year-old. Thank you kindly for coming back uh, to point that out to me. And you have a range of ages there. And of course, there's even more problems with that to try and control it as well. Late lunch, LMFM Radio Newsport and weather next. Afterwards, Ed Sheeran is my artist of the week. We begin a story and... Castle Bellingham, we're making a call. Thank you. Sean's been in touch with me to say, Jerry, just consider this. Bill Gates' children didn't have access to phones or anything else until they were 16. 
I see the point you're making, Sean. I suppose that says it all. You know, Gates wouldn't allow them until they were 16. Interesting, isn't it? Thanks indeed for all your comments and messages to the show this afternoon. Now, my artist of the week, Edward Christopher Sheeran, was born on the 17th of February 1991 in Halifax, West Yorkshire. His family moved to Framlington in Suffolk when Ed was was four. Actually, he was only four when they moved. Uh, And he began singing in a local choir there. He learned to play the guitar and a now famous school report when he was 13 says this, and I quote directly from it, he's a natural performer, most likely to be famous. How right those words turned out to be. He joined both the National Youth and Music Theatres in the UK in his teens and began recording his own songs. At 17, he moved to London, began gigging at small venues, supporting other artists and being noticed online. He released a couple of EPs, but his third one was called Loose Change and it featured his would-be debut single, the A-Team, and it really set him on his way. That was in 2010. But the big breakthrough, and many have got this breakthrough, and Ed was one to get the benefit of it as well, was on the 26th of April, 2011, when he appeared on Later with Jules Holland. He got the thumbs up there. And he performed that self-same song, which topped the charts and became the best-selling debut single of that year. Ed Sheeran, international stardom assured, and here it is, the song that illuminated his star. Ed Sheeran, my artist of the week, and the A-team, the song that set him on his way. Ah, he's simply brilliant. I love him, and I'll tell you more about him on Late Lunch tomorrow, round about the same time, and we'll hear another cracking Ed Sheeran's song. Jerry, big thank you for mentioning about young children on their mobile phone, says Rose. Rose, I'll be in touch with you after the show. There's more to your message there. We'll have a chat and we'll see where that goes. Now, first it was eggs from machines, then spuds. Now it's milk in a bottle in Castle Bellingham. Stay with us. They're queuing in Castle Bellingham since last week. Queuing, says I, for what? I don't know, says someone to me. Well, I said I'm going to find out. Tomas Smith is on the line. He's going to tell me. Hello, Tomas. Sorry, how things? Well, the milk shack. As I said, we've heard of eggs and spuds. Now it's milk. Tell us the story. Uh, there's, um, well, so look, uh, we set up the milk shack there um, over the last couple of months. And we opened there the door on Friday and we got a great response. Um, so we have a vend- milk vending machine. You come with your uh, reusable glass bottle and you get fresh milk out of the vending machine. It's all self-service, but over the last couple of days, um, no one could get to use the machine because um, we were just overwhelmed with the amount of people that called out. So you're onto something here. You really are, Tomas. Tell me about the glass bottles. I like this. Do you need your own bottle, or how does that work? Where do you get your bottle to start from? Can you use any container? Well, you can use any container you want. Um, we sell our own, so we have obviously have our own name, which is a uh, Holy Cow, and so we sell the glass bottles here, um, and then they're yours to keep, and you take them back and you refill them up. This is great. This is all good for the environment. Recycling, not throwaway society, but reusing the glass bottle again. Holy cow, I love the bottle. How much can you get into one of the holy cow bottles? It's a litre of milk and then there's a half a litre, which is 500 ml. Okay, so you can make your your pick between the two. Now, tell us about your milk. It's pasteurised, but non-homogenised. Explain that to me. 
Yeah, so passion is non-homogeneity. It's like you're not, you're not, you're not uh, like adding anything to it, and you're not taking away anything from it. Okay, so it will taste. I was reared on what we called loose milk. I'm sure you heard the term, Tomas. Yeah, uh, loose, and, loose, uh, loose milk. So loose milk. Yeah, and and has it that old-fashioned taste to it? It definitely has. Yeah, There's, it's it's more of a smooth, smoother taste with the, with being gently pasteurized. But uh, yeah, it has the exact same taste as it has maybe. 20, 30 years ago when you got to make in your glass bottle to your door. Was it difficult, you know, the machine? You're the first machine, and this is a fact, this is a first for the Wee County, you're the first in the Republic of Ireland with a machine like this? Yes, we're the first in the Republic of Ireland. And um, where did you get that machine from? Did you have it, is there somebody supplying these or did you have to, you know, have it custom made for you? No, no. so they're, um, they're, they're in Italy the last couple of years and they expand, expanded out, let's say, to the UK over the last number of years. And we have been looking into one um, for a good few years now. And we just, after COVID last year, now, we just decided to take the chance of playing our own mic to mm. the people around the local, locally. And and in normal circumstances, your milk would just be collected by a container and go to the dairy? We'll just go to the dairy, yeah, along with maybe five or six other farmers around me. So basically your milk is all pulled together and it goes to Glambia then. Right, and will you, you'll still obviously, with, with, the, with the production levels you have with others involved as well, you'll still be doing that. But is, if this eats into it more, will you be reducing what you're sending to the dairies? Yeah, probably that, yeah, that or maybe go down maybe a few cows, a number of cows that we have have here on the farm. But yeah, we'd hope that we'd like to sell a lot of milk through um, this vending machine and maybe have one or two maybe around Dundalk or somewhere else. Yes, and, and tell me this, price-wise, you know, there's rows going on with the multiples and the price farmers are getting for milk and that. How are you doing? Is this better for you than, you know, sending it off to the dairy? Will you will you make a few bob and will the consumer gain as well? Oh, of course, yeah. The consumers are gain because they're getting fresh milk and, like, it's straight. Like, there's this morning's milk, there's a queue down there at the minute. There's 10 people in the queue and the milk was... Fresh this morning, a batch of milk went on this morning, and the cows are mixed at six this morning, so the mix not even maybe three or four hours old before the first person had it in the fridge at home. On their cornflakes, <laughs> yeah. or porridge, or whatever they like to, to use and, it on. And obviously, they don't want to be slating anyone, uh, obviously, the milk processing uh, companies, but like, you know, they're not paying a fair price for the mix, so I can see farmers in the near future. Other farmers getting into likes of this because it's not it's not hard to see like uh, farmers don't get paid enough for what they produce, whether it be milk, beef, mm. vegetables. You know, it's, yes. it, it's not fair on the farmer uh, in their eyes anyway. Yeah, so it's forcing farmers to look at a, a different way of doing business and going directly to the consumer seems to be the way. So there's a queue there, even as I speak. What are you Frisians? Is are you, I take it you're milking? Is there or is yeah, another? Frisians and we've done a bit of crossbred of Jersey a couple of years ago, but we 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 stayed away from them. So it's just mostly Frisian now that we do. Yeah, you can kick a ball as well. Uh, not too good anyway. Well, I hear you can. You know what the posts are. That's for sure. But uh, there's a bit of a a bit of a kerfuffle. Never mind the milk down there. You live in Castlebellingham. You play for the Joes, do you? Yeah, we live in Castlebellingham, just on the outskirts of Castlebellingham, <laughs> and we're in the which in Paris. So yeah, we play. We <laughs> few, few of us here to play football. Yeah. Oh, the O'Connells aren't happy, but we leave that for another day. <laughs> anyway, uh, the queues are building. The machine is open. Is it open twenty four seven there? It's open, you know, it's open from uh, maybe 10 in the morning to probably 7 in the evening for, okay. for the time being. 
But at the minute now, we're actually running low on bottles. We actually didn't think that we'd have this amount of supply for the bottles. And I just went off the phone uh, to the man that supplied the bottles to me. And he's looking his best to be able to get bottles uh, to me soon. But it could be looking like it might be within maybe six or seven days. OK, so it's a good complaint to have. And you're working yeah. on that at the minute. You're a bit like the vaccine rollout. You'll get there. Yeah. You will get yeah. there. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> bring your own bottle or bring your own container and you can fill up. Just tell them where you are, just to pinpoint it exactly. Where are you in yeah. Castle Bellingham? Well, just outside Castlebane, so it's um, on the old and dark Dublin Road. Yep. So when, you, when you go outside Castlebane, we're a mile outside Castlebane, heading towards and dark on the right-hand side. There's a big, massive sign on the, on the main road that says the McShack. You can't miss it. The well drilling is on the other side, is it? The well drilling is just on the other side, yeah. We're just opposite. And also here, whoever wants to get water, uh, uh, we have um, our own well... And we're obviously letting people take uh, our well water as well for free, obviously. Yes, I'll tell you one thing. Sure, you'll be in the best of health when you visit Tomas at the Milk Shack. You'll have the best of water and the loveliest of milk and uh, everything going well in life. You're a great fella. I wish you well with it. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks very much, Jerry. No problem. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Tomas Smith there speaking to me from Castle Bellingham in County Loud for your milk and water. Coming up on Late Lunch tomorrow afternoon, Professor Paul Moyne, he's with us again on the show Father Paddy Rush reflecting on the Easter week and uh, the Easter season and Nadia Vavro joins me as we round off 40 days and nights for Slav on late lunch tomorrow afternoon my thanks to Eamon Doyle who guided the ship with me today Eddie Caffrey's raring to go he was showing me a picture of himself a few years ago you want to see the head of hair Eddie had oh my god Good job he hasn't got it now because he wouldn't get attended to with no barbers open. Anyway, Eddie's with you next for the next couple of hours. See you tomorrow for Late Lunch, 1.30. Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Let us amaze you with our fantastic used car offers. With over 300 different makes and models, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars to choose from. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. Finance can be arranged to suit all budgets. Call or visit blackstonemotors.ie today to find your next car. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com.